would have been better if I hadn't been like stressed out about being unemployed and afraid that I'd never work again. And we were just, I mean, money was brutal. Everything stopped. We didn't know if it would ever come back. So, yeah, I mean, this has been what it is, you know. 2020 is the gift that keeps giving. <laughs> I'm just still hoping we can come out the other side at some point and be done with it. But I don't know if that'll ever happen or not now. Yeah, I'm in Queens and uh, I think we might be close to re-entering lockdown, which is yeah, kind of a good thing. I don't know. It's a mixed blessing. Part of me wants people to be mandated to be wearing masks in public yeah. spaces again. Oh, I just spent the weekend in Tennessee, Mississippi, and Alabama. They do, nobody wears a mask. No one gives a fuck about any of it. Yeah. And so it's like people in your face and like everyone I know is getting sick and I'm about to leave for Europe and I'm sure I'll get tested the second I land in Helsinki. So I've been just like a nervous wreck. You mentioned, wait, I saw, I saw you mentioned somewhere that Cooley had gotten it at one point. He got it back in uh, 2020 and, uh, you know, he's Cooley's hard to kill. <laughs> I mean, I think he was, you know, I think he was pretty sick, but I think he was okay. His wife's a nurse, so I think she brought it home and they all basically got it then. Yeah, it's it's been it's been a lot. It's ready. I'm like I said, I'm just I just want to work. I just want to be able to do my job. Where would you rank yourself on the on the uh, hard to kill spectrum? I'm obviously pretty hard to kill. I haven't because I'm still here. I I don't want to I don't want to push my luck too much but but you know i'm i'm generally pretty healthy and and uh have uh you know i've been on the road a long time so i guess i've got a little cockroach in me somewhere it sounds like in spite of everything you guys were fairly productive over the last two years yeah i mean we were you know we we put out a record during the pandemic we 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 had a brand new record when it all shut down and a 15 month tour booked that all got that we're still playing shows from and uh, then we did the new OK, some of which we recorded like by sending each other tracks. And I mean, it was better than nothing. You know, it made us it, it made us able to pretend we were a band at a time when we weren't sure what that was all going to be. And then we came out of it and basically made the new record in three and a half days. And. That was great. I mean, making the Welcome to Club 13 record was one of my favorite experiences I've ever had in this band because we were, you know, we literally hadn't seen each other in a year and a half. And we got in and we had all these new songs and was like, let's demo the songs and see see what we have in terms of maybe when we're going to make our next record. And at the end of the three days, we were all kind of like, shit, I think we just made our record. Let's just let's just mix this and put it out, move forward, because this feels right. So that was great. I mean, that was magical. And I like having my band. I, I like playing, because this is, this is what we do. You know, it's kind of like the, it was like feeling alive again. I like that. I mean, it, I'm guessing part of the reason why it worked is because you came into it with no expectations about making a record. Yeah. That makes you a lot looser. Yeah. I think so. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, we've generally worked fast and we generally record kind of live in the studio, but this time there was like none of the prep. I mean, like when we made the unraveling, we were in Memphis, but we had spent all summer on tour working up these songs and sound checks. And, you know, we went in the studio knowing our stuff, whereas this time we went in just completely just wide open. And I think that was cool because we, we, nobody had any 
preconceived notions about any of it. It was all just like, oh, here's a new song. Okay, I'm going to do this. And it just all kind of, you know, it, it, it I think really showed off the chemistry this band has because we do have a great chemistry. You know, we, we're 10 years now since our last personnel change. So it's not only a great chemistry, but it's like kind of moved into that next level. And uh, so it was it was cool. It was a great experience. Is that the longest the band has gone without? A- oh, yeah. I don't think we ever did more than two records without at least some major turmoil. And uh, it's always bugged me because I, I, I don't really consider myself that hard to deal with i don't know it's like you know somehow cooley and i have managed to be together 37 years and you know we've had brad for 23 24 years something like that you know jay's been in the band for 16 years or something now i mean it's you know and so it but it it always seemed like there would be this you know one thing kind of making it so something going off the rails and granted you know when you spend that much time on the road and the road doesn't agree with everybody so if there's any any crack in the surface the road's going to bring it to the forefront and so it's not only do you have to play good together you've got to be able to not play good together and and have have those other 22 hours of the day that you're cooped up together work. So it's kind of a magical thing when it finally gets to be right, but it's, it's been really good and it's been fun being able to really grow the band on that kind of level, not having any kind of bullshit to kind of deal with. I've always said that the best way to test a relationship is to move in with somebody. And this, this feels like that times 10 of actually just being in a band with somebody. Absolutely. Sounds like the the turmoil generally from member to member was different, or was there some consistency there? Like I said, I don't even want to like sound like I'm because like I mean I love all the people that have played in my band, you know. And yeah. it's so it's not even like it's not even it's like when you're still friends with your ex wife. I am friends with Max's wife, you know. It's like it's 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 not really sometimes it's a delicate balance making everything work between that many people under those conditions for a long time, under the pressures that come with this job. So, you know, things are going to break and it's, you know, it's a rare thing when things don't break. And so I'm just, so I don't want to sound like I'm in any way being negative about anybody because I'm not, you know, I'm proud of the records we made, the various lineups and all that, you know, of course, you know, we had Jason Isbell in the band. He was very young when he joined our band and he had never really been in a band because he was mostly a solo guy before that and he had also never been on tour and all of a sudden he's in our band and it's craziness you know he joined our band right after southern rock opera came out when things got totally wacky with us (laughs) he was you know young enough literally to be my son actually his mom graduated from high school the year before I did. So, you know, he's, he's literally a generation younger than me and he's just turning 20 and experiencing all this stuff while we're out there, you know, chugging away. And so, you know, it, it, things like that, you know, shit happens, you know, and now, I mean, you know, all these years later, he and, you know, we're super close friends and no one on earth is prouder of what he's doing than me or the rest of my band. I mean, we all, we all love Jason and what he's doing, you know, and we can 
all sit down and laugh about, you know, how fucked up shit got in 2005 <laughs> and 2006, you know, when, when he was divorcing our bass player and in the band and everybody's drinking way too much and, you know, myself included. So, uh, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of that kind of thing, you know? And so it, it's just, you know, shit happens. I am friends with a number of my exes now, but in every single case, it still took time. There's still that period of like, oh, I just need to not talk to this person for a while and then we can figure out that later. Absolutely. You know, and I mean, when, when Jason and us parted ways, I mean, it was, it was very traumatic. It was traumatic for me personally on a personal level because my relationship with him was kind of like the first time I met him, I felt like we were kind of these musical soulmates that had, you know, were a generation apart that met. And there was a special thing and there was a very special bond. And so, you know, for a while it was very broken. And because uh, the last couple of years he was in the band was a really bumpy, bumpy time for every one of us, including that relationship. And so, you know, it was, it was a, it was really hard kind of brutal thing when it all went down. And at the same time, you know, I wouldn't take the world for the relationship we have now. It's, it's, you know, it's wonderful. And I'm so proud of what he's doing as an artist and as a human being and, um, and as a friend. So, you know, there's that, you know, I have nothing but really good stuff to say about all the various people that have been in our band through the years. Yeah. I don't know if there was necessarily a paternal relationship there, you know, as you said, different, different generations, but like taking somebody on the road, a 20 year old and having them sort of go through that, there must've been, you must've had a sense of guilt on your own side. Oh, of course I did. You know? And I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen to him. And we parted ways. It's like anyone you love and you see them going down a path. And I've been maybe down parts of that path at times myself and lived through it. It's like, wow, I hope he's okay. You know, and, and as it turned out, you know, he, he kept going for a number of years and there was a time where he wasn't okay, but he figured it out and he's more than okay. It's great. You know, and, and that's, it's funny because, you know, as a parent, that's kind of a running theme on our new record, even though that's not about him, but it's kind of, you know, we're all parents, our kids are now all at the age where they're like at the age when we started really doing Cooley's oldest son is the age Cooley was when he and I started playing together. Hmm. So, you know, we're all, we're all now kind of as parents watching our kids really become that age and, and, and trying to navigate some of the things we did that you really worry about your kids when they get that age to start navigating it. But at the same time, you know, you got to let them be who they are, too. And you got to, you know, hope that you got to kind of trust that they'll be okay, but at the same time, still be there for them. And it's hard. It's a it's a tough that's a tough thing when they're trying out their own wings. Are your own kids musically inclined at all? Yes and no. My my oldest played piano as a little kid and was really kind of good, but at some point decided they didn't want to do it. And then my youngest, someone asked him the other day if he played an instrument and he rolled his eyes at him and said, there are far too many musicians in my family already. I don't know. They, they, they all have, they all have some musical inclinations, but they're, 
they're certainly not embracing it. Neither one of them have any interest in doing anything with it at this point. That generational rebellion of, you know, my, oh, my yeah. dad's a rock musician, so I'm not going oh, yeah. down that road. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. And uh, yeah, he, uh, he wants to be a game designer. <laughs> so some still, you know, in the creative field. For sure. You know, obviously you didn't have this conversation with them, but like there's probably something that you had thought about. And there, there is that line that you have to walk of, of kind of being realistic and pragmatic about something, but also being supportive of what they want to do. And having been through that firsthand, you know, how difficult that life could be. Did you ever sort of want to push them into something maybe a little more realistic? No, I'm, I'm, I know better than that. My dad wanted me to be a, you know, my dad's a musician and he's, he's one of the lucky ones that was able to make a living at it through most of his life. And uh, he's still, he's still a musician and, and he's a, a really good one. And he wanted me to be a pharmacist. You know, he, he, he did everything he could to discourage me because he, you know, including telling me that I didn't have what it takes to do it <laughs> is probably, you know, and he wasn't wrong when he told me that because he hadn't seen any evidence to the contrary. And so I, I've never, I've never held that in any way against him, even though at the time I was pretty nonplussed about it. You know, so, so I, I just want my kids to do what makes them, I, I want them to find what makes them happy and fulfilled and throw themselves into it wholeheartedly, you know, and, and I'll, I will support them, whatever they, whatever that turns out to be, whether it's a film director or game designer or veterinarian or whatever, which are all things that I've heard through the years from my kids. So we'll see. How did your dad land on pharmacist? I was working at a pharmacy. That was my, my, although actually I think when he first landed on that, I probably hadn't even started that job yet. I don't know why I thought I'd be a pharmacist. Uh, I, I did work for about five years for a pharmacy, and I and I, I loved the job as far as as far as jobby jobs go, where you clock in and work a job. It was a pretty cool job because I loved my boss and he was really good to me and all that. But well, I couldn't go to pharmacy school. There's no way, and uh, I had no desire to do it for a living beyond just as a job. I, I, I've wanted to do this. This is what I do. I started writing songs when I was eight. So I've spent my whole life trying to figure out a way to make that work. I get the sense though that you did at least for a little while kind of heed his advice and realize that maybe, maybe this wasn't the path for you. Well, I went to college for four years and basically didn't play my guitar for four years. And so, but I didn't ever stop writing songs. I, I mm. wrote songs through that whole time. And, uh, it's kind of like nobody that knew me in college even knew that I did this. They, they didn't even know. It's like I was living this double life. I had my life where I was like, you know, I think I changed majors every single semester because I never found anything that fit, but I was trying to find something. And then at some point I was, uh, and I actually talk about this in the new record. I was, I was one night, I was driving around late at night and uh, I was, I had, started writing record reviews for the college paper and uh i was reviewing the i was writing a review for the replacements tim which had just come out and i was driving around one night drinking and driving which i probably shouldn't have been doing i think a statue of limitations uh, is probably up at this point I, I, i was driving around listening to the replacements tim and i had this like moment of clarity 
It's like, that's what I need to be doing. What the fuck am I doing? Why am I writing? Why am I writing a record review for the college paper when I should be playing in a band trying to make a record? It's like, God, these guys, you know, they're out of tune. They, they kind of sound like shit, but they're also kind of the greatest thing I've ever heard. And I need to be doing this. And that was when I decided to drop out of college and mm. form what became Adam's House Cat. And I just met Cooley right about that time. He was kind of going through a similar situation in his life, too. And we started our first band in 1985. The song, The Driver, on the new record, that's the lead-off song on the record, that's one of the things that happens in that song, mm. as it talks about that. It's pretty dramatic, though, of just ditching the guitar altogether. You know? Was it just yeah. a, was it a sore spot for you? It was weird. I mean, I, I wasn't a very good guitar player. And, and I, I, I had played a show. It was, my, it was my senior year in high school, and I was in a band. We weren't very good. And, and we played this show, and my dad had never come to see me play. And he came to see us, and we sucked. And I'd gotten really drunk, uh, I, probably because I was nervous that my dad was coming to see me. Mm. So I got really drunk, and I played really shitty. The next morning, you know, he's like, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I see people really talented who just can't make it because they just, you know, and it's like, I don't think you're even that talented. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, I was, I was pretty crushed. And, um, uh, but I never quit writing because that's just what I did. I kept writing. And so it was like, it's like, well, you know, I'll write for my own, of my own amusement and I'll try to find something else to do for a, for a job. You know, being a guitar player wasn't really that big a deal to me because I was a writer first and foremost. It was really, you know, after I started doing this full time with Adam's House Cat and probably even later than that, that I really started trying to figure out how to be a better player, you know, and I've, I've, I've come a pretty good way on it, hopefully by now, but that was never, my focus was always on the writing first and foremost. Everything else was kind of to serve that. It's like, well, I, I guess I need to learn how to sing since I can't find anyone who's going to sing these <laughs> damn songs, you know, and God knows I didn't really have the great voice to start with, but, you know, I've worked hard and, and, you know, I wasn't one of those guys who, First time I picked up a guitar, just played like a Cooley might have been one of those because he was really a good player already when I met him. But when I met him, I wasn't, you know, I've I've worked hard at it through the years and 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 I've got my thing I can do. But, you know, and I'm lucky that I'm surrounded by really awesome players that have lifted me up. Your dad's still around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We actually. uh he played with Mavis Staples this weekend. I wow. got to see him play with Mavis. You know, he's the bass player on I'll Take You There and yeah. uh, by the Staples Singers. So we played on a bill with Mavis and her bass player got COVID last week. And so dad filled in for her bass player at this thing we did. At the, they opened this great big amphitheater in North Alabama. He, so I got to see my dad play with Mavis. It was awesome. Obviously, you get that and, and you appreciate what he does. Do you feel like he's come around and, and understands oh, yeah. what you're doing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he loves my band and what we're doing. And I think he, you know, he, he, he gets what we were, you know, at the time he didn't get what we were trying to do, but he does now. You know, and I think we do it well enough now to where even though he's from the session world where everything is played perfect, whereas I come from more of the punk rock world where, it's more 
different than that. I think we've I think we've bridged that gap probably about twenty years ago. So that's good. Very least you're you're all good musicians now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, and and uh he's played on a couple of my solo records, mm. you know, which has been really fun, really a treat, because he is I mean, he's a spectacular good player. And so it's it's you know always great to get to experience that you know and he's my dad. Yeah, I mean you know obviously there's been a lot said about punk rock and and kind of making it accessible for people you know lowering the the barrier of entry. But but if you want to do it long term, you do want to keep honing your craft. Right. At some point, hopefully you're going to get pretty good at it. And uh, you know, and I mean we've been we've been doing this a long time, so. I'd love to see a count on how many shows we play, but I know mm. it's getting close to 3,000. It's mm. somewhere in that range, you know? And so it's, it's a lot, uh, you know, I'm proud of that. That's a big, uh, it's a big mark in baseball too. The uh, yeah. 3,000 hit club. Right. You mentioned earlier, uh, you know, first, I guess, first meeting Jason and feeling like there was a way in which he was, I guess, a bit of a musical soulmate. I mean, was it, was it that instant with Cooley as well? It, it, Yes and no. I mean, I mean, you know, we were polar opposites, but we kind of figured out pretty early on. We actually had someone tell us that early on. We uh, we needed a bass player, and we had this guy come and play with us a few times that we were trying to talk into joining our band, and and he was he was out of our league. I mean, he was a he was probably the like the best bass player as far as that what that was like playing live music in my hometown. He was like the best best player in town. And he kind of took a shine to what we were trying to do, even though we weren't even good at it yet. He kind of, he could kind of see what we were trying to do. And he came from enough of a punk rock background himself. And he wrote songs. And I think he dug the songs I was writing and stuff. And, and he sat us down one day and it's like, you know, it's like neither of y'all are very good yet, but when y'all play together, there's something that happens that's special and y'all need to keep that in mind. And maybe, you know, on days when you want to kill each other, which at mm. that time was a lot. And uh, it's like, maybe keep in mind that you're still better together than apart. And I think we took it to heart, you know, cause, cause it took a long time for us to figure out how to get along. Like we were, you know, probably starting our fourth band before we really figured that out because we're so different but it did it kind of it, at some point we 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 at least had enough sense to figure out that there was a a genuine chemistry there maybe because we are so different so because we brought very different things to the table you know and it's funny now because i mean now we're you know we're old and we've you know we're you know raising kids and we're you know, very close friends and on a, on a personal level, in addition to all this other stuff. But, but it, it was, you know, it was, it took a while because we just are so different. It's wild. Sometimes in life, you need an objective third party to come in and tell you these very obvious things that are happening with you. And Brad does that in the band. Brad is that Mm -hmm. person in the drive by truckers. He's the, he's the, he's the glue because he's a, you know, his nickname's Easy B for a reason. He's very easy to get along with, but he's also the one you don't want to piss off. He's because if you piss him off, you're probably really fucking up. So it's kind of like the golden rule in our band is don't piss off Easy B because 
he's the hardest one to piss off. So therefore, you know, you're really fucking up when you when you get the wrath of Easy B. You know, he's that person that every band needs that that kind of can go from thing to thing and 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 figure out how to make it all work. So having that as your drummer is just like the bonus. Yeah. How often does that happen that the drummer is like the rational even I mean, level-headed one in the band. It's it's the shit, you know, and he is, <laughs> and I've always been lucky with drummers, but he's, he's, you know, easy B is, is something very special. You had said that uh, you and Cooley were opposites, at least early on in what sense? Oh God, I think every sense, every you sense. know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty extroverted. I'm pretty sociable. I like talking to people. Cooley would love to never talk to anybody <laughs> ever again. <laughs> You know, I, I, it's, it's, it goes and then just starts there and then goes from there. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're very, we're, we're, we're pretty opposite. You know, even our approaches to writing songs is pretty opposite, you know, and, and no one on earth could possibly be a bigger fan of his songwriting than I am. Cause I, I love his songwriting because he writes the songs I could never write and hit, but his whole approach to it is so opposite of mine if i tried to write that way i would never i would never finish another song in the rest of my life it's like walk, it would not walk work me for through me. walk me through that what how is it so different you know i think his songs are like made of they're like carved in stone and, and you know he edits he edits during the process he he edits every line before he writes it down and it's it's so it's it's like working with rot with stone. Literally, it's like being a stone. Someone who carves. It's, it's like out coming stone. out fully formed, almost. It comes out fully formed. He might only write one song in a year. He might not even write a song in a year, or he might have a really productive year and write a couple. But they're, but they're, you know, I mean, every, to me, every single storied flame out is one of the greatest songs I, I've mm. ever heard. I'm just, I'm in, I'm kind of in all of it, you know, and he. He, 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 he does that. I, on the other hand, I might write 20 songs to get a good one. You know, it's like I, I edit way after the fact. I've got to mm-hmm. write it first. I got to get it down and then I can go back and fix it and make it better, hopefully, and, and all that. But, you know, and, and discard the ones that didn't work. But I write them first because if I, if I tried to edit first, I would never finish anything. I would, yeah. it would totally fuck me up. I just got to write, you know, if I'm having a problem, I've got to write myself through it. And I might write 10 songs about the same thing and, and get that one that really works and then fix it up and make it better. You feel like you're sort of almost circle, circling around specific themes. Like you clearly want to get a song out about them, but you can't quite figure out how to tell it. That might be, there's probably a lot of truth to that. Yeah. You know, and, and sometimes along the way, I find something else that I'm really happy about. And that's how I end up with an album's worth of songs, I guess. But, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a certain amount of that. I don't know, you know, my, my favorite songs I've written tend to happen really fast. They're, they're almost like the antennas up. I pick it up. I write it down as fast as I can. You know, I might fix a thing or two on the back end or not. And uh, uh, it's it's a very kind of primal act. And I almost feel like I'm not even that big a part of it. I'm just somebody who writes it down. And I'm 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 thankful that I that my antenna picked up the transmission 
but I feel like it happens somewhere else. And I'm just, you know, kind of lucky to be the person that picked it up. A lot of songwriters talk about that sort of, you know, there's almost this idea of sort of channeling the muse. When I wrote Shake and Pine, I wrote it, it's on the new record. I, I think maybe 15, maybe at the tops, 20 minutes. And I, I came downstairs and I played it for my wife and she had this really troubled look on her face. And she goes, that's not about us, is it? And it hadn't even dawned on me to even think about what it was about. I mean, I'd just written it. I hadn't even processed that. It's like, and it's like, I have no idea what it's about, hmm. but I can promise you it's not about us. It's like, I don't know anything else. I know, I know what it's not about. It's not about us, but I have no idea what it's about. And she goes, well, would you tell me if it was? And I'm like, probably not, <laughs> but it's not. I can tell you it's not, and that's the best I can do. But I have no idea what it's about. But if I ever figure it out, I'll tell you. And about seven months later, when the lockdown kind of eased up last June and I was out playing some solo shows, I was on stage in Asheville, uh, Asheville North Carolina, playing a show, and I was halfway through playing that song. And it dawned on me that that song was about my friend Jimmy who had passed away in uh, 2020. It was like, it was like, as in the middle of the song, it's like, Oh my God, this song's about Jimmy. It's like, it's like, it never even occurred to me that it was until that moment. And after the show was over, I literally first thing I did backstage as I was like downing some waters and cooling down from playing the show is I pulled up the lyrics and I was looking at them kind of, it's like, God damn, it's, it's like, it's all there. And that's why I love songwriting. That the fact that it's so subconscious and that I've, I feel when it's really working at its best, so out of control of it, that's why I love it. And that's what makes me a writer. And all my favorite songs happen that way, you know, whether it's Heathens or Living Bubba or Shake and Pine or The Driver or, or whatever, you know, all of my favorite songs I've written. Are, are almost like out of body experiences to me, you know. And I don't know if I don't know if that even enters into the picture with Cooley. I don't. I certainly don't <laughs> want to speak for him, but it, it seems like it, it's a very different process to him. And and there's no denying what he ends up with because uh, he writes songs that I could never write. And I I'm just thankful that we both. You know, that, that I get to be the guitar player on his songs and that I yeah. have him playing on my songs and that somehow our songs mesh together and make the albums more interesting than they'd be without the other. Or at least to me, they are. I hope he continues to feel that way. If he ever doesn't, then, you know, then I'll, I'll be out of job. Here in interviews the two of you do, do together, he strikes me as one of those people who doesn't say a lot of words, but when he does, they're profound. Right, right. And he is that way. And when we knew each other in the 80s and had Adam's House Cat together, he didn't write songs. I wrote all the songs in Adam's House Cat, and we'd be hanging out, and he'd be just talking shit, you know, because he's he can be, if you get him talking, he's a great shit talker. And, uh, and especially with a few drinks, you know, he'd, he would be saying these just crazy, amazing, profound <laughs> things. I'd be like, man, you should write songs. And you're like, oh, fuck that shit, you know. It's like, there's already a songwriter in this band, you know. I'll play guitar or whatever. And then years later, he started writing songs at a time when we 
broken up and weren't playing together. And he started writing. You know, it's like the first song I ever heard of his was so fucking good. I wanted to kill him. It's like, asshole. It's like, I've been doing this shit for, you know, since I was eight years old. And you write that as your like third song. Fuck you. (laughs) But it's awesome, you know, and and uh, uh, so so, you know, when when we started the truckers, which was 96 and, uh, you know, the first song he wrote for our band was probably the sixth song he ever wrote. It's it's crazy. Is there still a little bit of a built-in competition there when you've got two songwriters in the band? No, I don't think of it that way at all. And I don't think he does either. I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm nothing makes me happier than to have a great song in my band. If I wrote it great, but if someone else in my band writes it, that's great too. I'm just thrilled I get to be in a band that has a song as good as Zip City or every single storied flame out or Ghost of Most or whatever. You know, I certainly don't want to be the one writing bullshit that, you know, so I, hopefully my songs are worthy of being alongside those songs. But yeah. uh, but it's not really a competition kind of thing because I, I don't I don't think I could do what he does. But I hopefully what I do is valid too, and so I'm just glad it all works together. But yeah, I mean, when I, you know, the first time I heard every every single storied flame out, which I keep coming back to that one because I just mm. love that song, and I'm I'm so proud of that being on our new record. You know, first time I heard that song, I was just overjoyed that we had that song as as one of our songs. I know you guys are friends with the guys in the Hold Steady, and. I- and it sort of struck me because, you know, obviously a lot of their stuff is plumbing this very specific time in their lives, you know, like Lifter Puller right. and, and before that. And I sort of wonder going into this record that's really in a lot of ways about this sort of formative time in your life, whether that had some kind of an impact in the sorts of songs that you wanted to write. Yeah, I love I me. Mean, I love Craig and that band. I love all the guys in that band. And, and Craig's songwriting is just world-class for me both with the band and his solo records are just phenomenal god in chicago is one of my favorite songs Mm. of the last 25 years so uh i'm just i'm just thrilled i get to know those guys and get to see them you know i'm it's always because it's always just a great time obviously coming off this trilogy of of very political albums how did you kind of end back up at the beginning i don't know i don't really know you know it's it's funny because like the first two songs i wrote of of mine for this record were uh wilder days which i don't even remember writing which is Hmm. really weird because it's not like i I, it's just it's just like i just i just had it i don't even i don't even know and then i wrote welcome to club 13 you know i guess part of that process was uh you know, Adam's House Cat made an album back in 19, I guess we recorded it in 1990, and we broke up in 91, so the record never came out, mm. and for years it was even lost. The, the tapes were lost for a long time, and then we found it. We ended up putting that record out in 2018, so when we, when we uh, 
put the record out and we we had our drummer from those days come in the bass player from those days has passed away and uh the drummer came in to hang out with us when we were mixing the record and i wrote the song uh billy ringo in the dark while we were mixing the adam's house cat record because it was very much inspired by the bass player from that band who had passed away and uh so I think the mindset of putting that record out after all those years probably entered into it. But we were also in the thick of, you know, writing the unraveling and all that stuff during that time. So so some of that stuff was kind of written along the way and just kind of being sat on for when we could get come back to that. And then during, of course, the pandemic a lot of the other songs kind of happened during that time. So it, it, yeah. it kind of all came full circle, I guess, that way. I get the sense, having read some interviews with you, that you, like myself and a lot of other people, were going through some you know, pretty dark times during this. As you mentioned at the top, your inability to make a living making right. music. Did you find it difficult to write? I did find it difficult to write. And... uh I did a lot of other types of writing. I wrote some essays and stuff like that. And I, I wrote, I wrote some specific songs about some things that happened, but a lot of it was just, you know, but I did, I played a lot during the lockdown because I did these virtual shows here at the house, which was part of how we made a living and part of how we were able to, you know, not lose our house and shit during all that. Mm. And, got that uh, bad. and uh, it was, I mean, it was pretty hairy. So we, I was doing those and I decided it's like, well, most likely it's going to be the same people mostly tuning in every, every two weeks to this. So I decided to do my shows on a, do, do them all themed. I would come up with a theme and uh, I kind of made a list of themes. And so then I would spend the two weeks like working up songs from, you know, my whole catalog, including, you know, even Adam's house cat or even a few songs that even predated that really digging far back. And, uh, just to, just to do these themed shows. And so it kept me really on my toes and it, it, I think it made me a better player and probably even a better singer because, you know, doing a, it wasn't zoom, but it was, you know, doing it on your computer without an audience. You know, it's it's a very different type of thing. And um, I think it served me well when we went back to work with the band and all of a sudden we're playing live again. But I think I think all of that helped. I watched, of course, I watched a lot of movies and a lot of TV uh, like some, you know. But I don't know, it was I, I never didn't like listening to music. I listened to a lot of music. But I just wasn't able to, I, it was, I don't know, it was a very different relationship with playing and singing during that time than it normally is. Like I said, I think it's made me a better player and singer, but it wasn't, it wasn't super fun. I had heard you mention at one point that you were kind of kicking around a book. Do you feel like you still have a book in you? I hope, I hope. When the lockdown first happened, it's like, oh, right now I'm going to, I'm going to go to work on that book. You know? We all did that. Yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be off work for probably the next two or three months. I'm going to get some work <laughs> done on that book. That book went far away during that time. There was no work on it whatsoever. And uh, so uh, 
I don't know. I'd still like to think I've got one in me at some point. Uh, I don't know if it's any of the ones I've started or if it'll be something new that comes up along the way. A novel or? I don't know. I'd love to write a novel. I'd like to think I could at some point, but uh, right now my big goal is go back to work and get it all get this all underway but but at some point i would love to do that some point 